Welcome to Inside Scoop with Sean Emery. Every week we are examining something new, bringing you closer to companies, sectors, and themes. This recording should not be construed as a substitute for personalized individual advice from Avery and Company or any guest on the show. This is for educational purposes only and not intended to make an offer or solicitation for any companies or securities mentioned. With that, let's get on with the episode. All right, Ben Kogan, welcome to Inside Scoop. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I'm glad to have you on here really to talk about, you know, D2C, direct-to-consumer market. If you don't know Ben, I think, you know, you're in for a treat. You know, go follow him on LinkedIn, if anything. Um, he posts a lot of pretty interesting content. I think there's really two or three main focuses today that I think, you know, we want to hone in on. Number one, you know, many of these VC-backed DTC, direct-to-consumer companies have struggled, the ones that have gone public and even those that are not public, you know, really what went wrong, get it from your lens. This is what you do. And, and I'll, I'll give you a moment to share your background, what you look for in DDC, you know, what, what do you think drives success here now and into the future, m- mostly on a sustainable basis. And then three, which is, you know, has been interesting to us here at Avery is, you know, where does Amazon stack up in this equation today? You know, friend or foe, what other channels, you know, over the, the last several years have, have really propped up that really have a meaningful dent um, for direct to consumer, you can think of you know the WalMarts, the, the social media platforms that are building experiences as well. Before you know your introduction, I did want to set this stage a little bit. You know what we've seen over the last two years is the direct to consumer market again, or DTC, where companies really look to build products that they sell directly to consumers. You know this has been tested, I guess to say the least. Um, essentially, you know what they have to do is handle marketing, shipping, returns. You know, there was this belief for a time period that, you know, DDC would totally disrupt the wholesale channels, the marketplaces, bypassing these channels. You know, these brands in theory would have more margin uh, from product sales. The reality is, is for every Nike, you know, who everyone aspires to be, there's a Smile Direct Club um, who's burning $100 million, you know, in free cash flow as per your LinkedIn post. You know, these, you know, DCC sounds great. Um, you know, drive, driving demand to these channels is, is really expensive. Shipping is tough. You know, the cost to ship went from 2000 to 20000 in six months, about uh, two years ago now. And this totally flipped the economics of these models upside down. Freight rates today, and really as shown um, in this chart, you know, has you know, gone up, gone down um, in a meaningful way. And it's opening up, I think, the conversation. And part of the reason why, you know, bringing you on here to learn, you, you know, what you've seen what you're seeing, but obviously, you know, this decline in freight rates is naturally, you know, providing potential margin support on a go forward basis or normalization. So let's turn to you, Ben, Um, tell us who you are, you know, the amazing stuff that you have built. um, And, you know, we can go from there. Awesome. Thanks, Sean. Um, So my background is actually almost exclusively in direct to consumer. Uh, I started a venture backed direct to consumer company called Hubble Contacts, which is still going strong, um, but left it a couple years ago, still on the board. Um, we hired in a new CEO who's doing a great job, uh, but left it a couple years ago to start a business called Agora, which is acquiring uh, bootstrapped direct to consumer businesses. So similarly direct to consumer, but businesses that you know, haven't raised any venture capital, unlike Hubble, which did raise a significant amount. Um, and so I've really seen all parts of the direct-to-consumer universe everywhere from the sort of incredibly high growth uh, venture back parts to the slower growth, but potentially more sustainably growing uh, bootstrap part of the market. Got it. Um, you know, so let's talk about that. So the transformation there from what sounds like, you know, uh, you know, investing in 
VC-backed based DDC companies prior successfully um, to, to point that in there. And then, you know, today where, you know, you're trying to find the ones that have done it uh, much more organically, um, you know, talk about today's DDC market, you know, what went wrong? Just give us a, you know, a perspective of the last two years. Um, I'll, I'll start off here with, uh, with a, a post from you, um, which was on LinkedIn. And, you know, there's a lot of negative numbers in here in terms of, uh, you know, return on um, investment from, let's just say, you know, venture firms uh, or companies, you know, how much they've raised relative to how much they're generating or how much they're worth. Um, I think this sums up a lot of how you feel. Um, but in general, you know, just share a little bit about the last two years from your point of view. Sure. Um, so it's interesting. Direct-to-consumer, uh, the heyday of direct-to-consumer e-commerce, I think, really kicked off with Warby Parker. And then there are several other companies similar to Warby, Dollar Shave Club, Harry's, where I actually used to work, um, which is a great company. Smile Direct Club started around the same time. Casper. Uh, I think a lot of these businesses raised a lot. There were some acquisitions like Dollar Shave Club which is, I think, in late 2016, sold to Unilever for a billion dollars. That, I think, made investors pretty excited about the market. Um, you had others like Bonobos, which sold to Walmart for, I think, $310 million a couple years later, which is great. So looks like there were these acquisitions happening that made investors, VCs, excited about the market. Um, and then, of course, what happened in 2020 is the pandemic. So People couldn't buy things in stores anymore effectively, um, or it was much harder to or more dangerous to. So people bought products online. There was a huge run-up in you know, direct-to-consumer valuations, both because of growth. People thought this would be a new normal. And because, of course, like all of tech, there was a big run-up because of low interest rates. Um, and these direct-to-consumer businesses were fast-growing, you know, money-losing, but, but fast-growing, which is what people, investors especially in the public markets, wanted at the time. So a lot of businesses use the opportunity of the open public market window in, you know, in tech broadly, of course, but also in direct to consumer to go public. Then, um, you know, things got tough uh, a, a bit over a year ago. This is again true in broader in the broader tech markets, as as you very well know, Sean. But also definitely true in direct to consumer. Um, I think one of the main issues, and I wrote, wrote about this in, in another post actually, is if you know, if you look at the market, there is a big bifurcation between tech businesses that have held up well and tech businesses that haven't. And the ones that have held up well generally are the ones that are meaningfully profitable. And unfortunately, most of the venture-backed direct-to-consumer businesses have not gotten to consistent profitability. Really, very few actually have. And the ones that are still trading at, you know, pretty decent valuations are the ones that are at least close to profitability or maybe a little profitable. I think the core issue for these venture-backed direct-to-consumer businesses at the end of the day is not getting to consistent profitability, even though that's the, you know, even though that's what the market today is clearly rewarding. And you think the, you know, obviously we can look into the models specifically, but, you know, part of it is a function of high cost of sales and marketing. Part of it is a function of, you know, you know, an unprofitable product to begin with. Um, and, you know, obviously with freights doing what they did, if you you know if you had high sales and marketing and you're you're trying to make money on the product, uh, you know, the, the your gross profit dollar is getting squeezed on the other side. If uh, at the same time, again, there was a lot of demand for some of these channels out there um, for marketing, so you know that also rose at that at that level as well. Um, you know, what are some of the characteristics I think you know from your point of view that you know give you the sense of sustainability? Um, whether it's you know product categories, you know competition within a specific category. Um, you know, margin structure and you know, like sales and marketing, you know, uh, um, as a percent of the revenue, you know, yeah. 
what kind of are some of the main you know KPIs I think that you look for uh, for a business or just characteristics in general? Yeah, I think you know freight. I think is part of the story, but I don't think is really the main part of the story anymore. Because as you you know as you said in that chart, freight rates have come down a lot um, from spiking 10x in 2021, and these businesses are, are still not really getting to profitability. I do think a core issue is the the ad costs, as you were mentioning. I think there was an idea here that direct-to-consumer cuts out the middleman, and that's true in some sense, right? If you're selling online, you're cutting out the middleman of the store, so you don't have to pay the retailer, you don't have to pay Walmart or Target or, or whatever, but you are paying a different middleman, which is the ad platform, generally Facebook for most direct-to-consumer businesses, but also Google and you know, Pinterest, Snapchat to some extent, but really Facebook, you know, Facebook and Instagram is the dominant channel. And so direct-to-consumer didn't really cut out the middleman, it added a different middleman, um, which is fine, but you know, the economics have to work with paying Facebook in many cases twenty to fifty percent of your revenue, and that could rival what you're paying, you know, Target, Walmart, or any other retailer. Yeah, for sure. Um, now, again, so the what what you're doing at Goro right now, you know, what are some areas that you're focusing on today? You know, what characteristics are you looking for that say, hey, that suggests to you that this truly is sustainable outside of just like pure profits? You know, the profits could be there now, but but obviously, you know. Um, you know, there's the belief that obviously prior to like some of these companies prior, which is that we're burning money now to build enough scale to obviously, you know, either wean off the competition or number or number two is just scale outside of this. So, you know, unit costs come down, broadly speaking, um, or you find new channels, I guess, that, you know, drive enough, um, you know, revenue outside of, you know, what you're doing today and building like a platform of DDC, I guess, from shoes to socks to, you know, shirts, I guess. Um, you know, what are some of the, you know, uh, you know, how, how do you characterize or look for to, to designate, you know, this company is sustainable long-term as opposed to, you know, it's breaking even today or, or profitable today, but not necessarily, um, you know, a category that will survive the test of time. Yeah. I personally think it's pretty difficult to predict which categories are going to succeed. I mean, even if you look at the categories a couple years ago that were, or a year ago during the pandemic that were doing really well, most of those have really fallen back down to earth. Um, a lot of outdoor products, automotive products, like effectively products that people were buying because of the pandemic have really not done well in the last couple of years. And so um, we have some views about category, but it's really difficult, I think, to predict in advance what's going to succeed. I do think the best uh, ability, the best thing we have to predict whether a, a business is going to continue to grow and be profitable is just its history of profitability. Um, in general, the businesses we've seen which have done the best in our portfolio have been the businesses that have had a significant measure of profitability and have good fundamental core unit economics, especially LTV to CAC ratio. And so there are businesses that, you know, may have strong gross margins, but if you're spending 50% of your market of your revenue on marketing, that makes it really hard. Um, if your business though, that has a strong brand, has a lot of organic sales, you know, you can keep your CAC down for that reason, and you have strong unit economics that can compound over time really nicely. I think it's not always easy to predict if it will continue, but I think category agnostically, um, rather than looking at businesses that were growing market share and growing revenue by investing in growth, we really look at businesses that have a consistent history of profitability. And that to us, at least historically, has been the most predictive of, of future profit growth. Right. Got it. Yeah, no. So, it, it, I mean, it's it's somewhat fascinating, right? Because obviously, during COVID, you saw a boom in some different categories, specifically, you know, the home and outdoor, uh, anything that was around your house for sure. Um, now, 
you know, a lot of investors or people extrapolated that growth out into the future, kind of in a linear fashion. Um, now, there's a lot of people today that are that, you know, those categories have rolled over and the the same is happening potentially on the other side, which is you're extrapolating that to the downside. And, you know, how we like to think about it is around frequency, which is, you know, the frequency of that purchase, like a Peloton or something where, you know, the, the renewal cycle, the refresh cycle of these things are elongated naturally, you know, pre-COVID, post-COVID, it, it didn't, doesn't really matter in terms of, you know, your, your, the, um, the period of, of refreshing whatever you have, a grill like Weber or, you know, yeah. some of the others. Um, and, you know, at some point there's going to be a refresh cycle and, you know, the leaders in those categories are likely if they're still around um, are going to be the, the beneficiaries you would, should assume, uh, you know, that refresh cycle again, whether it's like a Peloton or even just cars, uh, anything, you know, extended in terms of that refresh cycle, how are you, you know, are you thinking about that, um, from a, you know, investment perspective of like, you know, there's the curve, you know, the bell curve of, you know, demand surging to demand falling off a cliff to, you know, there's going to be a normalization of this, um, uh, of this demand back to, or is this going to be kind of like, you know, higher highs and, and lower lows because we had such a uh, concentrated purchase uh, environment that the refresh cycles are just going to be giant tidal waves. Um, that's how we're thinking about like direct to consumer or just goods in general. Um, and you know, whether it's the wholesale channel or, or direct to consumer, you know, what's your mindset around that concept? Yeah, look, that makes a lot of sense to me. I like that thesis. Um, in general, we're not looking at category. We are definitely looking at category a lot. It's not exclusively what we're looking at. We're also, we think within any particular category, there are businesses that could be winners based on their core unit economics and CAC to LTV ratios. Um, I do think there are certain types of businesses that just are more likely to succeed on Facebook and Instagram. 2022, as you know, Facebook took a huge hit due to iOS 14 and people were really wondering whether Facebook would ever really be the engine that it was in the past. 2023, Facebook has made a lot of improvements in in their algorithm, their AI tools seem to actually really have been working to their credit. And Facebook cost per acquisitions have come down pretty significantly and CPMs as well in the last few months, which is pretty exciting for the direct to consumer space. That being said, there's some businesses and some products that I think inherently have really tough time working on Facebook. So Facebook, unlike Google, is an auction of all products. Like if you have a product, you're bidding, uh, if you're advertising on Facebook, you're bidding against every other product that's advertising on Facebook. And so unless you have particularly high AOVs or really high LTVs due to significant amount of repeat, it's really hard to make it work. So if you have a product that's relatively inexpensive and people don't buy that frequently, so the LTVs are low, you're still competing with mattress companies that sell for $1,000 plus on Facebook and so can afford to spend a lot more to acquire a customer. So it's going to be really hard to make it work. In general, we look at Facebook. Um, we look for Facebook products that are either pretty high AOV, even if they're one-off purchases, or relatively, maybe relatively low AOV, but pretty consistent, like contact lenses is another example from, from Hubble. Um, so yeah, it's really hard to know. Generally, we look at the data. It's, I think it's really hard to predict categories, but those are some of the rough rules of thumb we use to predict what's going to work in the future. Got it. And AOV being uh, average order value uh, for those listening, um, the, you know, Interesting, you know, little parallel here is or, or question is around the social media landscape. It's, it kind of goes down to the third point, which is, you know, what platforms, um, you know, are you are you looking at different channels? You know, there's the physical brick and mortar channels. Um, obviously, that's not direct to consumer, but you know, 
in the in the role of retail, it plays a critical large role still. Um, and we saw that you know even in the face of you know a time where everything went online, you still had you know people migrate back to old habits uh, or you don't have to call it habits, just what they want um, to do. And you know so those channels still exist. And then you have some of the marketplaces that exist. Whether it's you know the Amazon's Wayfair's you know um, some of the other channels as well Walmart's uh, platform, um, talk about if you could you know any of those channels and then social media I mean we could maybe split the two you know the sure. marketplaces relative to social and the potential of you know having actual um, uh, sales directed on those social platforms uh, as they can try to build out those tools um, for sellers to sell so yeah yeah. I think there's been a big shift in direct to consumer brands mindsets about these other channels. You know, maybe a few years ago people were really averse to Amazon and and retail. That uh aversion has totally uh, maybe not totally but largely gone away. I think people know that to expand beyond a certain scale, it is really difficult to do that on your own website alone. And so most brands that I talk to are if they can, expanding it to Amazon and retail. Um, and it's harder than direct-to-consumer in a lot of ways, but it's more sustainable. It's still the case that more than 80% of retail purchases are made offline, maybe 75%, but something along those lines. So if you want to go where your customers are, especially for certain types of products that people like to try or try on before they buy, being in retail makes a lot of sense. There's been a big shift from thinking about direct-to-consumer as a business model on its own to effectively, which makes sense, being a channel, which you can have work, you can use to test new ideas, test pricing, test creative, test products. But really, at the end of the day, you can build a nice, profitable, relatively small business on direct-to-consumer. But if you're going to build a large business, you, most people think now, have to be omni-channel. Got it. And talk about Amazon, the relationship there. Obviously, you know, we've always had the belief that, you know, when you succeed on Amazon at, at, at a, at scale in a sense, in terms of whether it's one product or, you know, multiple products, um, there is kind of this competitive advantage that you do build over time based on reviews, rankings, and, sure. um, and, and just engagement, um, keyword searches. A lot of that is, is now paid for. Um, but in general, you know, talk about that, which is, you know, is there a competitive advantage, um, to be a leader, how sustainable do you think that is? Uh, and how easy is it to take, you know, one of your, your brands that, it, you know, maybe crushes it in, you know, DDC, Instagram, and, you know, you get a lot of viral adoption there versus, you know, taking that and um, putting it on, on Amazon and maybe not just getting to the same, the same success, um, which may answer, you know, the first question here, which is how competitive if you're already there um, in general, like that kind of a conversation. Yeah, Amazon is pretty competitive. Um sort of like almost the sort of classic econ 101 definition of perfect competition. You have the exact same products in, in a category um, listed next to each other with their prices and reviews listed out. Um, that being said, I think Amazon is a really powerful channel. And for basically all the direct-to-consumer businesses that we're acquiring, we're at least exploring launching them on Amazon and have launched them on Amazon if they're not there in many cases. Um, I think that's true for you know a lot of reasons. One, the big question for direct-to-consumer businesses with Amazon was, are you cannibalizing your direct-to-consumer sales, right? So if you have a direct-to-consumer business, people are searching for you, maybe they see you on Facebook or Google or even a TV ad, and they're searching for you and they buy you on Amazon, 
you're paying Amazon a significant fee or tax that you wouldn't otherwise pay if they were buying you know, directly from your site. Plus, you don't have the data from that acquisition, so you can't remarket to those customers as easily. I think that was the main fear. Amazon would both tax you on the purchase and also you know, effectively be able to compete with you by having all the data of who your customers are, which would allow them to launch new products in, in your category and things like that. I think those fears are still around for a lot of folks, including us. But at the end of the day, so many sales from so many people happen on Amazon that you have to go where your customers are. And there are a lot of people who see a new product, don't necessarily trust that the direct consumer site is going to ship them the product or be honest with them um, or give them their money back if they don't like it. Amazon has over decades built trust with consumers that they are a product or they are a platform that will be there for you in case something goes wrong and you know ha- has built a lot of brand equity with with consumers and so a lot of folks i know will or a lot of consumers it appears will much prefer to buy on amazon and so you know you have to go ultimately i think where your customers are um amazon has you know it has issues uh they're not always that responsive to sellers sometimes um their, their fees have gone up a lot in the last few years especially with the implied fees from the fact that you really have to advertise on Amazon now, even if you want to have significant or better placements for your organic listings, Amazon cares about how much you're spending on the paid ads on the platform. Those are all issues, but you can make Amazon businesses work profitably. And if you have brand equity that you've built up on, on the direct-to-consumer side, it is often much easier to launch a product or launch that brand on Amazon um, versus a de novo product that has no direct-to-consumer presence at all. Got it. Cool. Um you know, last little, you know, segment is one around social. Like, are you excited? Are you preparing for, you know, the, the potential wave of actually, you know, purchase, um, you know, the concept of Instagram and some of these channels being these digital malls where there's, you know, experience happening on the platform, great uh, visuals and kind of user uh, or interface of, you know, some of the different products that exist in the ecosystem, obviously easy marketing and, or advertising that, you know, brands are already accustomed to. Um, it's just uh, obviously just going end to end and and then building that trust as well on the platform, uh, is is critical. So your thoughts, are you guys preparing for it? Um, and you know, excitement around it, what platforms would you, would you probably uh, prefer to see if you had to, you know, wave a wand and say, you know, TikTok, uh, be, you know, get it all together and, you know, we can, we can do it here or Instagram or, you know, I know it's not Twitter, but yeah, (laughs) probably not Twitter. Um, yeah, I think if, if if anyone's going to do this successfully, it's Instagram. Instagram has launched tools in the last few years to try to make moves towards this direction, sort of like one-click checkout, um, allow you to buy on the platform directly. This was a bigger thing even like 2018, 2019, if I remember correctly. It hasn't really taken off that well. I think part of the reason is when people are buying a product even direct to consumer, there's some smaller purchases that they'll make on the platform directly, but, you know, larger purchases, people usually want to go to the site. They want to read the reviews. Maybe they'll go off the site and Google the product to see if they can find reviews. They'll think about the, think about the purchase for a while. Maybe they won't buy in the first touch. Um, so yeah, I, I do think Instagram has improved their, their Instagram shopping um, tools so that you can buy directly from the platform without going to the site. But I still, I haven't, I haven't seen it sort of take over commerce like I thought it might have a couple of years ago. Um, maybe TikTok will make moves here. TikToks, um, 
platform in terms of user engagement and viewers is much more advanced than their platform for advertisers. Uh, many people I know have, including us, are, are, get, are able to get Facebook and Instagram to work and are not really yet able to get TikTok to work as an ad platform. So I think getting it to work there first before they make moves to, to allow you to buy from TikTok directly um, probably makes sense. But I, I, I mean, they're, they're the only other option besides Facebook and, and Instagram that I, I think could potentially be really disruptive here. Cool. Yeah, let's summarize with Agora, which is just, you know, today in this environment right now, you know, what, what excites you um, in, the, in the space? I think the silver lining of the fact that so many of the venture-backed direct-to-consumer businesses have done relatively poorly in the markets in the last couple of years is there is a renewed focus on profitability, core unit economics, cash flow. And that is just very consistent with how we at Agora think about what makes for a great direct-to-consumer business and you know business more broadly, honestly. Um, but if you have certain types of products... They should lose money. Like marketplaces, they take a long time to build up. Um, you could have other types of platforms that have large fixed costs that you need to invest in upfront in order to make money in the long run. Great. Like those businesses should burn potentially significant amount, like billions of dollars in, in, in some cases to, to get to scale. We think direct to consumer businesses are different, and the best direct to consumer businesses get to profitability quickly, very quickly. And um, the silver lining of what's happened in the market in the last couple of years is we think. Others now, many, many more folks are agreeing with that, with that approach. Got it. Cool. We, we always have, you know, quite a bit of listeners, viewers that, uh, you know, have started historically have, you know, started, um, we've been asked in the past, um, you know, if you had to give, you know, not necessarily advice, but, you know, some of the businesses you're looking for just to, to give an outlet, um, what you're looking for, you know, how people can find you, um, and anything else you want to share, you know, before we, uh, hop off. Sure. Um, yeah, our, our website is heyagora, hey, A-G-O-R-A.com. So if you have a great direct-to-consumer business that you know, you're looking to sell one day or even not not yet, but you're looking to sort of chat with us, happy to just come to our site and, and, and put in your, your, your brand or, and your email and we'd love to chat with you. Um, yeah, look, I would say um, to the extent that it's advice, uh, it, it's, you know, it, it's kind of trite, but if you can build a great business from day one, which is cash flow positive, um, without external capital or with limited external capital, I basically encourage everyone I know to, to be able who, who can do that to, to do so. Um, it's harder. It's not what I did a few years ago with Hubble. Um, so, you know, I, I definitely see the, the appeal of of raising, and I in, in many cases I actually do think it's fine to raise some amount of capital. But when you get to these brands that are, are raising hundreds of millions of dollars in order to scale, I think those days are are largely over, at least for now. And so building a profitable cash flow business, cash flowing business from day one um, is, I think, going to be best for, for most brands. Cool. Well, Ben, Kogan, appreciate you coming on Inside Scoop, sharing uh, you know all the details around you know direct-to-consumer, um, the marketplaces, and all the nuances uh, around it. Um, again, everyone, if you want to find them, hey, Agora. Uh, learn more, reach out to us if anything, um, if you want to come to us and we'll put you guys in touch. Regardless, you know, thanks for coming on and appreciate the conversation. Thanks.